I have revealed you to those, this is Jesus speaking, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message. Amen. Thanks, Joanna. Good morning, everybody. My name is Vince. I'm one of the pastors here. Glad you guys are here with us today. I'm just going to get this out of the way. I know my shirt says Spiritual Gangsta on it. I pulled it out of my closet, and um, I, I just have to share the story because I've gotten so many comments on it today, so I just need to get that out of the way. Otherwise, you guys may not even focus on what I'm saying in the sermon. So the reason my shirt says Spiritual Gangsta is because that's who I am. No, <laughs> I, uh, I was getting a haircut. A buddy of mine makes T-shirts, and um, he was going through some stuff and opening up, so I was just sharing some thoughts with him. He knows I'm a pastor. I don't think he's a believer. And... Um, Partway through, he's like, dude, you're like a spiritual gangster. I was like, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And the next time I showed up for a haircut, he had made this shirt for me. So, so today, I pulled the shirt out of the closet, and this was it. So, um, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> We're walking through the Gospel of John, and we um, have come to this amazing passage, this prayer of Jesus Christ for his believers, his followers. And uh, last week we covered the first five verses where Jesus prayed for glory, and this week we come to verses 6 through 20. It is a, a long prayer, but it's beautiful. And today's passage is pure gold because Jesus prays for his disciples. He's praying for his 12 that are there with him, but as we saw in verse 20, it says, I pray not for them only, but for everyone who will believe in me through their message. In other words, Jesus Christ prayed for you. Like, let that sink in for a second. Jesus prayed for you. What's that do for your heart? Like, honestly, if I didn't say anything else today, that's a sermon in itself. That's got enough fuel to put in your tank to get you through whatever you're going through. That is pure gold. The most influential person who ever lived, the one who is perfect, the one who has the ear of the Father in the final hours of his life, right before he passes from the scene into the grave, he spends time 
praying for you and I. Is that beautiful or what? But the question is, Jesus prays for you. What's he pray for? And this passage is, is chock full of stuff. And honestly, you could probably preach an entire sermon out of this passage, but a sermon series. But today it's my task to preach one sermon out of this passage. So what did Jesus pray for for you? What's, what's the gist of this prayer? The main thing that Jesus is praying for here is, is your holiness. Jesus prays for our holiness. Real, real spirituality, true spirituality is concerned with our holiness. And I know you say, where do you see that in the passage? Well, it's, it's this word, sanctify, that comes up over and over again in this passage. Sanctify. It comes from this Latin word, sanctus, which means to make holy. Sanctify means to make holy. So the gist of this whole prayer is, Father, you are holy. Make them holy. Keep them holy. And we have a challenge with this because this word sanctified or holy, it's not really something that our culture is into, to be honest. Like if you, if you go to a bookstore, if you can still find one, and <laughs> you, uh, there's tons of books on spirituality, right? And what words fill those books? Or do a Google search on spiritual books, many of whom like Jesus, talk, talk well about Jesus. Do, do a, the top 10, top 20 words in any spiritual books, and here's, here's some, I did this, Google search the top 10, here's some of the words, faith, that's a positive word, hope, spiritual, vision, heart, soul, success, secret, joy, love, holy isn't there, sanctified isn't there, and I get it, I mean, when we think of the word sanctify or sanctification, what do we think of? We think of like austerity and grimness and frowning people instead of smiles, right? And asceticism. Yeah? Anybody? Yeah. Long dresses, headwear, priests, and pilgrims and Puritans. Do you think of something like attractive and joyful and full of life? No. And what we see here in Jesus' prayer is that he's very, very, very concerned about holiness. Why? So that's what we're going to talk about today. Three Quick things, i got to clear the ground and kind of start from scratch. So the first point is, why is holiness important? Secondly, what is it? We want to get Jesus' definition, right? And then thirdly, how does it ignite? So why is holiness important? Why should we even care about this today? I want to explain this, even though I'm not defining it yet. That will be the second point. But when we look here in verses like uh, verse 19, we see something amazing. Jesus' life is essentially all about holiness. Jesus says here that holiness is not only the goal of his life, but it is the dynamic of his life. Holiness is the goal and the dynamic of Jesus' life. First, the goal. What do I mean? Look at verse 19. He says, I sanctify myself. Why? Why does Jesus sanctify himself? So that they may be sanctified. We're going to see in a minute that sanctified means to set yourself apart for a greater purpose, okay? Set yourself apart to focus on one thing. But even if you didn't know what sanctified means, here's what you do know. These are Jesus' last words. He's about to die. He knows he's about to die. Have you ever been with somebody who knew they were about to die? I remember um, when I was about 13, 14, my son's age, my uncle, uh, David Gray, passed away. And he, he was a famous pastor here in San Diego. And and uh, 
he was, you know, on a morphine drip in the hospital and just really struggling for every breath. And he called me over to him. And he whispered in my ear. He said, Vince, I have something to tell you. So I came close to Uncle David. And he said, beware of the red pins. And then he rolled over and went to sleep. And that's the last thing he ever said to me. I spent the last 10 years trying to figure out what he meant. <laughs> Red pins, you know. But some of these words, especially their last words, they carry weight, right? They carry a very real weight. What's the most important thing to Jesus? If you're with somebody who knows they're about to die, they don't talk about the weather, right? They're not just shooting the breeze. They, they don't talk about the weather. They talk about what's most important. What is most important to Jesus? What's he saying with his last few breaths? What's he praying for? What's weighing heavy on his heart? He says, I sanctified myself and I set myself apart for this. He's saying my whole life has been about this. Even my death is about this. Everything I've done is about this. What is it? Our holiness. Our holiness. He's saying, I have only one goal and there's one thing I'm about. The meaning of my life is holiness. What's that mean? It means that it doesn't matter if you're a Christian here today. It doesn't matter if you're not a Christian and you know it, or maybe you're not sure whether you're a Christian. If you really want to have anything to do with Jesus, you have to be willing to let him make you holy. And I'm not saying you got to get holy before you come to God, but I'm saying if you're going to come to him, you got to deal with that fact. Look, if you're, if you're dating somebody, or you're interested in somebody, rather, you're getting to know him, and uh, let's say it's a, a girl, and she says, well, you know, my whole life is really about art. What do you say? Ah, art. I don't care about art. I don't want to talk about art. I want to talk about you, baby. She's going to say, <laughs> she's going to say, no, what? I just told you my whole life's about art. If you want to get her attention, if you want to get her affection, what are you going to do? Like you better like art. Yeah. <laughs> better Google it. <laughs> what is art? <laughs> And Jesus is saying, if you want anything to do with me, by the way, this says a lot about all those books, right? If you want anything to do with me, you have to be willing to be sanctified. That's what I am interested in. I have one goal in mind. It's the meaning of my life, and it's your holiness. That's the goal. That's not all. He doesn't just say that's the goal of his life, but he also says the dynamic of his life is holiness, right? Verse 19, he said, I sanctify myself. But look back at verse 18. What's he say? As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Now, next week's passage is all about this, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but we just have to touch on it. When Jesus says, I sent them into the world, uh, world it's that Latin word, missio, right? Which is where we get the word mission, right? Jesus was sent on a mission into the world. What, let me ask you guys, what was Jesus' mission in the world? Anybody know? To renew all things. What was that? Live a perfect life, yeah, what else? Save the lost, came to seek and save that which was lost, yeah, what else? To die, yeah, and is that it? Message of resurrection, right? He lived the resurrection, and then we get to bring that message. And every Sunday for 2,000 years since that happened, the church gathers on the first day of the week to celebrate this truth. We participate in the resurrection of Christ, yeah. Jesus Christ came on a mission. Jesus' mission was to come into the world and attract people to God through his holy life 
and loving sacrifice. He says, if I be lifted up, what? I will draw all men to me. That's what Jesus says. Now he says in verse 18, I want to send my followers into the world in the same way. I want my followers to attract people to God. Okay, fine. But ask yourself, what does he send them in with? What does Jesus send us on mission with? What's he come in with? What's he send us in with? He asked the Father for one thing. It's the only thing he had, and it's the only thing he thinks we need for the mission he's given us. What is it? Does he say, Father, I'm sending him into the world. Give him some really good books on evangelism. (laughs) Give him all the answers to all the questions of life, right? No. Does he say, Father... I'm sending them into the world. Give them ninja skills to just really like know what's going on in somebody's heart and be able to see through the darkness there. And No. He doesn't say give them church growth strategies. You know, There's too many yellow seats at Roosevelt. We got to blow this thing up. You know, Give them church growth strategies, the formulas of success. It's not what he does. What's he say? The only thing Jesus asked the Father for is our holiness because that was the dynamic of his life. Think about that. How many of you in your life have people you wish you could help? You have people, you look at their life and you say, their loved ones, friends, people around you, and you're like, man, if I could, if I could only get them to see the truth, but I can only get them to see some of the lies they're believing or some of the things that are debilitating in their life, I really wish I could help so-and-so. Anybody? Yeah, good. Bad. You look at people in your life, you want to reach them, and you say, man, if I could just give them money, or if I could just give them some advice, or if I could just give them a kick in the pants, maybe they deserve that, you know? I don't know. And if they do, give it to them, absolutely. But what they need from you more than anything else is your personal holiness. That's the one thing Jesus Christ came bringing, and it's the one thing he prays for, for you and I. True holiness is beautiful. It's attractive. It's not long dresses and headwear and somber faces. True holiness is is beautiful. Christopher Wright in The Mission of God says it this way. There's a great missional and evangelistic power in lives shaped by biblical holiness. What was it that attracted people to Jesus? His courage, his wisdom, his love, his insight, his self-control. His humility, his poise, his sensitivity, his joy, his patience, right? That, that's what attracted people to him. Jesus was unbelievably attractive. It was his moral beauty that people saw. And when he sends you and I into the world to help other people, the way he came into the world to help other people, what's he send us with? It's the only thing we need. Somebody tell me. Holiness, thank you. Got one person following along. <laughs> it's like, is this a test? <laughs> Let me ask you something. Why should anybody follow our advice? Why should anybody listen to us? Why should anybody even care what we're talking about unless there's something remarkable about our lives? Right? Lily just had pneumonia for like a month and she's coughing all over the place, right? I was just thinking, like, what if you walk up, somebody walk up to us on the street and said, uh, <coughs> you know, you should really see my doctor, <coughs> Dr. John Doe. <coughs> He's really helped me. 
you should definitely go see him. Would you go to the doctor? You get my point? Yeah. You say, I really wish I could help this person. I, Jesus is the main thing you need is holiness. And guys, I get, as a pastor, I get caught up in all kinds of stuff, church growth strategies and what's the coolest, hippest new thing and how can we do this and that. And I forget so often one of, what one of my mentors told me a long time ago. He said, Vince, the main thing people need from the pastors is personal holiness. I mean, I've got to repent of this today. We all need personal holiness. Holiness makes you stand out. Holiness is the moral beauty of God. Andrew Murray says it this way. Holiness is not so much an attribute of God as the comprehensive summary of all his perfections is beauty. Holiness is the beauty of God on display. And it was on display in the life of Christ, right? John chapter 1, verse 14 says, And the word of God, the truth, the beauty, the, the logos, the, the whole character, who God is, was on display. It became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. Jesus Christ was God's holiness on display, glorified so everybody could see it. It's beautiful. And then he calls us to glorify God by displaying God's beauty in our lives. To ask yourself, do I live a life worth imitating? I'm called to go make disciples in the world. What am I discipling them to? I know that's a heavy, heavy thought. It may feel damning. Don't worry. We're going to get to the good news of the gospel in a little bit, but just let that sit on your heart for a second. If you're not living remarkable life, if I'm not living a remarkable life, if my love, if our courage and wisdom and self-control and joy isn't remarkable, why should anyone ever listen to us? Whatever else you think is more important than holiness isn't. That's the first point, but we can't stop there because we'd just be in despair, okay? Let's, get, let's keep going on. Number two, what is holiness. And let me just ask this. For Jesus, it's a priority. Is it a priority for you? Is holiness a priority for your life? Let's talk about what is it. One of the problems we have with holiness is we think of that long list of moral rules and trying hard to be good. I love this quote by Alan Hirsch in Shaping of Things to Come. And it's a lengthy quote, but it is beautiful. Instead of looking at holiness as a list of don'ts, when we talk of God as being holy, or of Jesus as being holy, or of the Holy Spirit, we must resist the temptation to see holiness in moralistic terms, or else we do violence to the idea of the redeeming God and end up seeing God as the ultimate moralist. That's simply bad theology. God is the model of holiness, and we must become like the one we love. As obedient children, let yourselves be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life, a life energetic and blazing with holiness. What's he saying? He's saying, guys, holiness is not a list of do's and don'ts. Holiness is the attractive, life-giving, joyous nature of our Father. And in John 17, we see holiness has three aspects of meaning we're going to talk about briefly. And you've got to get these if you're going to be able to do what Jesus um, tells us to do and care about what Jesus cares about. Holiness consists of three things, uh, a single eye, a united heart, and a new community. First of all, a single eye. Sometimes people 
just think of sanctification as a process, a process by which I'm becoming more and more good every day. I'm becoming more and more moral or loving like Christ. And that's true, but that's not first, that's not the primary meaning of holiness, at least not the original meaning. And here's how we know. Um, There's inanimate objects in the Bible that are called sanctified, right? So Mount Sinai, the holy mount of God, is called sanctified. How can a mountain be sanctified? Right? You take a chair, you put it in the tabernacle, and it's called sanctified. How can a chair be sanctified? You tracking? Some of you are like, man, that chair is further ahead than I am. <laughs> How can a chair be sanctified? Or look at what Jesus says in this passage. Ask yourself a question. Verse 19, Jesus says, I sanctify myself. Why does Jesus need to be sanctified? Isn't he sinless? Ah, good, good question. Okay, so... I'm glad you asked. And yeah, Jesus over and over and over throughout the Gospels claims to be sinless. In John chapter 8, he says, I've never sinned. Eight, eight, uh, one version is uh, John chapter 8, verse 46, if you want to write it down in your notes. If Jesus claims to be sinless, what does it mean for him to be sanctified? Well, the original meaning of sanctification is to be set apart for one thing, to be completely focused on one thing. It's where we get that, uh, our connection with the English word holy, with the W-H-O-L-L-Y, right? To be whole, to be holy, to be wholly set apart, to be wholly focused on one thing. That's what sanctify means. Uh, we just came through the Olympics, and um, everywhere I went, people were watching the Olympics. Um, I just started thinking, like, what if, you know, some gal in 24-hour fitness on the treadmill is watching, it and she says, you know what, in four years, I'm going to compete in the Olympics. What's she have to do? She has to set herself apart wholly in order to train and get ready for that, right? She has to set herself apart. And that doesn't mean that the only thing she does is train for the Olympics, right? I mean, she still goes to movies. She still hangs out with her friends. She still takes days off. But what it means that she wholly sets herself apart is that if she's, if she's wholly set apart for it, it means that everything else is subservient to that goal. And if something can't be made subservient to that main goal, what she do? She's got to cut it out. Think about it. Where she lives is determined by her training. Why? Because she's got to be in the right climate. She's got to be around the right people. What she eats is determined by her training. Her entire schedule, her work, her sleep, everything is determined by the training. And everything else has to become subservient to that one overarching goal of her life. When Jesus says, I sanctify myself, for the salvation and redemption and purification and holiness of my people, what he's saying is, I see the path I have to go down in order to accomplish it, and I'm setting myself aside, and I'm focusing all of my energy and effort on that one goal, that one thing. That's what he's saying. He's not saying, I wasn't holy, and now I'm becoming holy. He's saying, I'm set apart for a purpose. We tracking? Okay. What's that mean? Give me a minute here to to press this, okay? When you set yourself apart for God, when you say, God, I want to be holy, that means you're saying, God, in his service, obeying and loving and serving him, it's not just one goal among many goals in my life. It's saying that is the supreme thing. And I'm cutting anything else. I'm making everything else subservient to that one goal. When you say that, 
In this original sense of the meaning, you're sanctifying yourself. Are we tracking? Okay? When you say that, you've set yourself apart. You have a solitary focus. You have a single eye. And making that commitment is not subject to degrees. Think about it. Like, you may fall short on that commitment. You may fail. That's okay. You may not be very good at it. Your execution of that commitment may be subject to degrees. But you've either determined... I will unconditionally obey God, or you've told yourself, I'll obey if. I'll obey if. You're saying, I'll obey God no matter what he sends into my life, no matter what I understand about what's going on, no matter what culture thinks. I'll obey God no matter what, unconditionally. Then you set yourself apart wholly. But if you're saying, I'll obey God conditionally, I'll obey God if, you haven't really done it. That's why there's no middle ground with holiness. Holiness is either or. There's no middle ground with it. Either you're using God or you've given yourself to God and said, Lord, use me. Either, you know, you're looking at God and saying, hey, I want you to make me have my way. Or you're saying, Lord, have your way in my life. I'll go where you lead. I'll trust you're guiding in my life. There's no middle. Either you're using God or you've surrendered and you're allowing him to use you. Are we tracking? I mean, let's drill it down. Either you're smarter than God, or you think he's smarter than you. Either he knows better what's good for you, or you know better than him. There's nothing in the middle. It's one or the other. And that's why in this first sense, we're not talking about gradual purification. We're saying, who is the Lord and the Savior of your life? Because there can only be one. Who are you serving? Who are you living for? My first point is holiness is holy, setting yourself apart, singleness of mind, putting God absolutely first. And then point two, be holiness. The second aspect of sanctification is that there, there is a gradual wholeness that grows out of that, a gradual um, increasing wholeness of your heart that begins to grow out of making that decision. So the first sense is setting yourself apart for God giving him unconditional control of your life, and then gradually, bit by bit, that mends your heart, that heals your heart. Verse 15, Jesus says, I don't pray that you'll take them out of the world. I pray that you'll protect them from the world. What that means is that Jesus doesn't see holiness primarily as refraining from sin and temptation. He's not saying, I'll leave them on the geosphere of the world, and maybe they can go get away out into the country where there's no sin and live an existence out there that's holy and pure. Maybe they can get up to a monastic retreat and just live there forever, away from temptation and sin. That's not what Jesus is saying, is he? He's saying, if you're holy, then you can go through the world impervious to its desires. You can go through the world and you can look at the world, and, and, and you don't have to look at it for your affirmation. You don't have to look at the world for your salvation. You don't have to look at the world for your identity and for your comfort. So you can look at the world, and you're free from it. But that's not what most of us experience in our daily realities. Is it? Most of us experience very divided hearts. Why? There's a hole in our holiness. There's a hole in our holiness. Our hearts are not wholly devoted to God. They're divided. And honestly, it's pretty American of us. 
if I can just be real. We have this thing in America called the Constitution. And um, you guys know that uh, it gives us certain unalienable rights. And among these are what? Life, liberty, and pursuit of, yeah, it's a right, God-given, right? I get to pursue happiness. Let's be honest. You and I want to be happy more than just about anything. You and I will do just about anything to be happy, right? It got so quiet. <laughs> For instance, last week we talked about praying. We talked about how the God of the universe, the creator, wants a relationship with you. That's amazing. And maybe this week you've prayed more than you have in a long time. But if you're honest and you look back over your life, you have this opportunity to talk to the creator king of the universe. How often do you use it? Why don't we pray a lot? Honestly, it's because we'd rather do something else. Maybe I'm the only one, because y'all staring at me like I'm crazy. We feel like in the moment something else is going to make me happier than getting alone and praying. Why do we do things we know are not in our ultimate best interest? We partake in certain activities. We look at certain things. We flirt with certain realities. Isn't it because deep down we believe those things will make us happy, even if it's temporary, even momentary? Let's face it. Some of us could really use some temporary happiness right now. I get it. Life's hard. It's just like, ugh. I just wish I could enjoy a moment. I just want to feel good right now. So we end up sacrificing our holiness on the altar of our temporary happiness. Why do we ignore needs around us? People come to us and ask for help, and we've got resources, time, energy, effort, money. Why do we ignore it? Oh, I'm sorry I'm busy that day. I can't help you move. You know you're not busy. Why do we take advantage of people? Some of us look for weaknesses to exploit in others. Some of us use our positions of power as leverage over others to get something that we think we want from others. Just look at the news cycle. Look at story after story after story of what? People chasing happiness at the expense of their own wholeness and at the expense of others' happiness. Why? Here's the deal. The biggest problems of our world are holiness problems. We stopped bearing God's image and we started living for whatever we believed would make us happy. We sacrificed our holiness on the altar of our happiness. And when we read the news, we read the results of our pursuit of happiness. But today, God has a plan. God has a plan. It's called his holy people, right? God is more concerned with your holiness than your temporary happiness. God cares more about who you're becoming than how you feel in that process. He cares more about your character being formed than he does about how you feel in the moment. God cares more about you becoming a person of justice, a person of true, selfless love for other people, a person of character and integrity when nobody else is looking. He cares more about who you're being shaped into than he does about what it takes to shape you into it. And most of us know that at a fundamental level already. And yet, like, if we're honest, how many of us live our lives running from that process? How many of us avoid anything that could make us uncomfortable? 
or take away our momentary happiness. Look back over your life, though, and be honest with me. And I'm being really real and really raw right now. Be honest with me. I'll wager that the things that have made you the most uncomfortable in life, and I mean your nightmare experiences, your traumas, the things you wish you could go back and erase, those moments of pain, those forged goodness and character in you more than all the other happy times. Those were the means God used to shape you into who you are today. The things you're running from are the very messengers of God. They're the very things he sent into your life to mold you and make you the person he wants you to be. A person who can bring healing into the world around you. A person who can bring the shalom of God and mend broken hearts because you've had a broken heart. A person who can love the unlovable because at one point you felt unlovable. Your pursuit of happiness is the main thing that gets in the way of your holiness. But here's the twist. Your happiness and your holiness are not opposed to each other. Okay? It's just, it's just that most of us get the cart before the horse. We're chasing our happiness, and so we throw our holiness out the window. Okay? In fact, holiness will always result in your eventual happiness. You becoming a person of justice and character and love and compassion, that is the life you're longing for. Listen, God wants to shape you into that type of person, the type of person who can handle anything, the type of person who can love anyone, the type of person who can bring the shalom and the peace and the kingdom of God into the world. Envision something with me. Can you imagine becoming the type of person that everywhere you step and every word you speak is bringing peace and shalom of God into the lives around you? Have we ever seen that before? Ever, ever seen anyone like that before? Maybe. Everybody scared of the wrong answer still? <laughs> Have we ever seen anyone like that before? Who? Jesus, yes. <laughs> and how would Jesus' story have been different if he'd lived for his own happiness? And yet we're sitting around here in a room 2,000 years later because somebody incarnated God's holiness. Jesus laid down his happiness on the altar of holiness for you. Listen, your pursuit of happiness won't always result in your holiness. In fact, your pursuit of happiness often won't result in happiness. It often results in anxiety and depression and fear, shame, and guilt, right? Your pursuit of holiness will always result in happiness eventually because you'll become the person you really want to be. You'll become more and more like Jesus, and you'll start to live the kind of life Jesus lives. God wants you to be holy and happy. Jesus cares more about your holiness because it brings ultimate happiness. Are we tracking? Okay, good. God wants you to have a whole heart instead of a hole in your heart. That was a zinger. Ooh. I wrote that, I wrote that down at 1 a.m. I was like, got poetic. <laughs> um, in CBR, our church does this uh, community Bible reading, and we've been reading through Isaiah. In Isaiah 6, there's a familiar passage. Um, where Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up in the temple, and it says his train filled the temple. And somebody pointed this out to me. They said, the thing Isaiah realized is there's not room in the temple for anything but God. 
that's good. That's coming right from here in our community. If our heart's a temple, if our life's a temple, right, to be holy means there's not room for anything else in that temple. If your heart's divided, if your heart fails to be whole, if your heart is overwhelmed with fears and resentment and discouragement, it's because there's something else in the temple. It's because you haven't set yourself apart in the first sense, and therefore, you're not growing a united heart in the second sense. We tracking? Third thing that we see here about holiness in this passage is that you can't read this passage individualistically. He doesn't say only, Jesus doesn't say in John 17, I've sanctified myself so that you might be sanctified individuals. No, he says, so that you might be holy and happy individuals. Is that what he said? No, what's he say? Look at verse 11. I will remain in the world no longer, but they're in the world. I'm coming to you, Holy Father, protect them so that they may be one. He's not just talking about individuals here. He wants them not just to be holy people. He wants them to be a holy people. Did you catch that? A a group, a a family. If you're going to be holy, you have to see you're called to be not just a holy individual, but like 1 Peter 2.9 says, you're called to be a holy nation. What's it mean to be a holy nation? That word holiness, we said, we've already seen means separated, right? It means as a community, we're different from the world. But I want to ask you guys, what would a different holy community, a holy nation, what, what would that look like? And we can dialogue about it. Shout out there. Any thoughts? What, what's, what's an attribute of a holy, holy community, a holy nation, a new city in San Diego? What would it look like? I didn't catch it. What? No poverty. Amen. Loves the broken. Man, that would be holy. That would be different, wouldn't it? Often we, we use the broken for what we can get in our society, but loving the broken just for themselves. Amen. What else? What would be some other marks of a holy, a holy nation, a holy people? For, relational forgiveness. Reconciliation in the middle of it. Fearless, yeah. Oh, man. Talk about the courage that you see in the book of Acts after the Holy Spirit lands on those people. They go from hiding in an upper room to running all over the place sharing the gospel. Wow. And what else? Sharing our lives with people outside of our bubble. Mm. No segregation. I like that. Actually, you know what's interesting? Ooh. Ooh, no racism. Look at this. You know the word that Peter uses here for a holy nation is the Greek word ethnos? What do you think that means? He says, God's creating a new culture. Right? Think about that. Out of the Greeks, Jews, Romans, Africans, he's saying you're a holy ethnic. What's that mean? It means the way men and women interact. The way that Sexuality is used. It's held up, expressed, and experienced. The way the races get along together, the concern for the poor, the way you spend money on yourself, the way you give it away, the way you do everything looks different from the rest of the world. Let me ask you guys right now. As we look around, you know, Facebook and the news and and all that, does the world look at the church right now and say, wow, look at how remarkable they are. Look at how unified the races are. 
Look at how patient and humble their politics are. Look at how healthy their families are. Look at how unselfish and generous their bank accounts are. Until the world looks at a community of Christians and sees an alternate way of being human, being society, a a new city, the kingdom of God, the shalom, God's hidden characteristics incarnated, manifested, and glorified, until we are that solid as Christians that we're actually thinking and talking about these things regularly, we're not there. And we're not there yet, are we? We've got a long way to go. Jesus says, I want you to be holy. I want you to be a holy nation. So you're not holy unless you have a single eye, a united heart, and a new community. Point number three in closing. Holiness doesn't just happen by trying really hard. You can't muscle up and make yourself holy, thank God, all right? (laughs) Verses 17 through 19, in a little nutshell, will tell us what ignites holiness. Do you know how often the Bible calls holiness fire? You guys remember that story of Moses? He's standing on the mountain, and he sees a burning bush, right? And what does God say? The place you're standing is holy ground. Take off your sandals. For holiness to ignite in our lives, it takes two things. Let me ask you guys, uh, for those of you that like to make fires, because I've tried. <laughs> we were up in Big Sur for my daughter's senior trip, and I tried for like four hours to make a fire. I had starter stuff. I had gasoline, wood, and it just kept going out. I, I couldn't start a fire with gas. <laughs> Thanks for pointing that out, Mike. <laughs> But as any good fire maker knows, what two things do you need for fire in order to have combustion? Fuel, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. You need fuel and you need oxygen, right? What happens if you have fuel but you don't have oxygen? No fire. What happens if you have oxygen but no fuel? Amen. So two things you need, they're right here in verse 17 and verse 19. What do you have? Verse 17 you have truth. Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. That means the word of God brings you a vision of holiness. When you look at the Ten Commandments and the wisdom literature and the poetry and the prayers and the parables and the example of Jesus and the nature of God, when you see those things in God's word, when you see the vision of what you can be, of what you've been called to be, and that inspires you. But if you just have that, on its own, right, you won't have ignition. That alone will begin to weigh you down. In fact, eventually, like Paul says in Romans, it will begin to oppress you. And there won't be any ignition unless you have this other thing. If you just have truth, it's not enough. What else do you need? You need truth in what? Look at verse 19. What is it? Grace. Why? Do you remember the original meaning of that word sanctify? It means to be... Set apart, yeah, and cut off, exactly. D.A. Carson says it this way. The word sanctify has an original meaning, to be cut, to be cut off. I'm going to separate myself from the Olympics, I'm going to cut everything else off. Holiness means to be separated unto something, to be cut off. There's this passage in Genesis 15, and Tim Keller points this out, and I love it. He says that God shows up to Abraham and says, I'm going to make your name great. 
I'm going to make your people great. You guys are familiar with the passage, right? I'm going to give you a son. Out of your loins will spring the Messiah of the world who will save the world. And Abraham asked God, how will I know you're actually going to do this? How do I know for sure that you're going to bless me? And then God does something that seems a little weird to us, honestly. God tells Abraham, go get a bunch of animals and cut them in pieces. Sorry, vegan friends. <laughs> um, suddenly, was that too, was that too insensitive? <laughs> it was like a mo- I thought it would be a laugh. It was a moan. Oh. I'm very sorry, vegan friends. <laughs> and what happens? Suddenly, God appears in a flame and passes through the pieces. And he says, I promise to bless you. And Abraham was blown away. And we should be blown away too. But most of us probably aren't because none of us know what that means. Because that's a different culture from ours, right? But in those days, when you made a contract, you didn't have a piece of paper and a pen. You didn't have a notary public and a stamp. What you would do is you would cut animal in half and you'd walk between the pieces. And it meant, if I don't do what I've said I'd do, may I be cut off myself. You're identifying with the animal. So in scripture, human beings would often do this before God. They'd make a vow. They'd make a covenant to God. But God never does this before human beings. For God's fire to pass through the pieces of animal before Abraham, God was saying, I will bless you. I will save you. I will redeem you. I will make you holy. I will make you spotless. I will remove all the pain and the imperfections from your heart. I will do it, even if it means I have to be cut off myself. And the book of Isaiah says exactly what had to happen. For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. Who was cut off? When Jesus says, To make you sanctified, I sanctify myself. He's saying, I will be cut off for you. I will take the punishment you deserve. I'm going to bless you, even if it means I'm going to be cut off myself. When you look at the Son of God, the Lord of the universe, saying, for your sake, I sanctify myself. The old King James Version says, for your sake, I cut myself off. He's cut off from the Father. He's cut off from the, the joy and the love on the cross. John says the word of God was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father who came full of grace and truth. When you see the truth of what he calls you to be and when you see the grace of what he was willing to do for you, ignition, that's what will ignite holiness. If you don't see the holiness that God calls you to, but you just hear, oh, Jesus died for your sins, no ignition. It's all all oxygen with no fuel. If you see Jesus has done all this for you, he loved you so much, the extent he's gone to guarantee your salvation, but then you just hear, you need to be holy. You better try harder. No ignition. That's just oxygen without fuel. The gospel is not that he's going to help you a little bit. The gospel is not, Jesus says, try really hard and I'll fill in the gaps. The gospel is not just a clean slate so you can start over and try better. The gospel is that he's done the whole thing for you. Jesus Christ fulfilled both sides of the contract. He was cut off so that we could be brought near. If you have truth without grace or grace without truth, you have no ignition. 
But as you see Jesus laying down his momentary, temporary happiness to be holy, so that you could be made holy and happy, that'll free you to lay down your happiness for his holiness, which will always result in your ultimate happiness. Grace and truth together, and only together, are the ignition we need. I want to encourage you as we close to just pray, Jesus, my brother, my prince, my king, my Lord, how could I fail to give myself completely to you when I see that you gave yourself completely to me? From that thought will spring holiness. From that thought will spring the fountain of God's character within, the joy and the beauty and the love and the truth and the justice. Explosion. Put that thought on your heart. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for praying for us. You said, for their sakes, everything I've done, everything I'm doing now, I was willing to go all the way so they could be cleansed, so they could be perfect, so they could be radiant and glorious and holy. Help us to see all that you've done for us so that we could have the, at that thought, we could gain the power we need. So at that thought, we can gain the hope that we need. Jesus, you said, I put my whole life on the line to make you holy and happy. Give us the faith to receive that today. I pray in light of that that nobody in this room ever gives up on themselves because you never gave up on us. Instead, may they pray along with me that, Jesus, you sanctified yourself for my sake, so I will sanctify myself. I will set myself apart for you. Lord, show me your purpose for my life, and I'll set myself apart for you in that purpose. And God, as we set ourselves apart, as we focus all of our energy and effort on you, on allowing you to be the Lord of our lives, I pray, God, that you would also begin to increase that holiness in our life. May we look more and more like you. May people in this city be drawn to the image of God in his church, a church of broken ragamuffins and failed people who try our best and fall short, but who have determined in our heart of hearts that we will live for you. Even in the face of our failures, even in the face of our brokenness and our hurts, that you are our God alone. And I pray for anybody in this room that's never received the gospel, that maybe thought Christianity was all about what we do for God, would see what you did for us on the cross and would be drawn to you. You said if you're lifted up, everyone would be drawn to you. I pray people would see your love and your grace and your truth manifest in the gospel. May the grace and truth of God ignite our hearts for holiness. In Jesus' name we pray.